Welcome back, Brown Girls. I'm Ashanti Golar, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, and this is Season 5 of the podcast. Who knew that Election Day would be five days long? But after a long and stressful waiting period, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the new president-elect and vice president-elect, and I have been sleeping so much better knowing this. The presidential transition is already underway, despite what the current occupant of the White House thinks. It's time for us to focus on what is to come under a Biden-Harris administration. In this episode, we discuss what challenges the incoming administration will face and what it means to have a woman of color as Madam Vice President. Our guest today to chop it up about all things Biden-Harris is Fatima Goss-Graves. Fatima is the president and CEO of the National Women's Law Center. She is at the forefront of making sure we have good policies for women and families. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we are joined by another brown girl I have so much respect and admiration for, Fatima Goss-Graves, the president and CEO of the National Women's Law Center. Fatima, how are you today? I'm feeling good and so glad to be with you today. I'm so glad you were able to make it. I have so much I want to talk to you about, and I'm glad that we get to talk about good things in my opinion, because we have a new president, we have a new vice president, our first woman of color to serve in that role, our first woman to serve in that role. So we got to start off with the personal before we dive into the amazing work that you do to make sure women, women of color are centered in all of these policies. But how are you feeling? Where were you when you saw the breaking news? How did you celebrate? So I was a big old bag of tears on Saturday. I, you know, some of it, I will just say, was um, the relief. I don't think my body knew that the last four years it had been clenched and holding so much. And so some of it was like a release. Can, can we talk about that for a minute? So many people I have been talking to, and in one moment, it cracked me up. She said, I felt like I took off my weighted blanket, my bra, and my extensions. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I felt for sure. Um, But I also was just in awe of that we will have a Madam Vice President. We've never said that before. And that she's a Black woman, that she's a South Asian woman. And what it says about our leadership and what it says to a coming generation of black and brown girls who will be okay being ambitious because they've seen it. I just, I'm still choked up thinking about uh, what now feels possible. And, you know, I'll just tell you one quick story. My, I have two sons and they are 12 and eight. And my eight-year-old grew, has grown up casually talking about when I become president, you know, he just sort of said, we'll drop it in sentences. Okay. So, you know, like, well, maybe one day when I'm president and he's able to do that because he saw it in president Barack Obama, who he would call, he calls president Barack. And 
And so President Baracko was out there and just being there provided a whole new opportunity for people. And so I am really excited that we will have that um, for, for black and brown young people to know that leadership can look like uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. It's amazing. I, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews. And I think about my niece in particular, that she only knows Hillary Clinton or Miss Hillary, as she calls her, who ran for president. And now she knows Kamala. So for her, this is just so normal that it's going to be weird for them if they see a presidential ticket without a woman. They're going to be like, wait, what? I think we are done with the idea of all white male tickets. I, I actually think people will people will think what what is that and how did we get there? Um, that it is a a new day in many uh, ways because of that, and I think this country will be grappling with that going forward. You know, absolutely, and we know that we have our new president-elect, our vice president-elect. And I was telling so many people when they were saying, oh, he's up in the polls, this is gonna be a blowout. I was like, no, this, this race is tied. I talked about it on the last episode, but there are still people who were fine with the direction that the country was going in. And it's because those are people that no matter who is in office and what they're doing, they're going to be fine or they're okay if the bad things are happening to people that aren't them. And unfortunately, that is just a reality. Yeah, I, I mean, I will tell you, I believe in celebrating deeply. And so I was in a celebratory spirit all weekend. I brought it with me. I brought it into our team this morning. And I said, guys, we got to do that. And I know what is brewing next and what comes next is the diagnosis of like what what led to the electoral outcomes that we had. So step one is celebrate. And I the parties around the world, I felt like did that pretty effectively. Step two is having a data-fueled understanding of how we got there. And that, you know, the truth of the matter is. Um, when all of the votes are finally counted, it, you know, it's likely somewhere north of 5 million more people voted for the Biden-Harris ticket than not. But it is also the case that we have to grapple with the more than 70 million people who supported uh, Donald Trump and why. And I actually think we need to understand that why. I could give you my um, my my feeling of why. I could tell you what I what I think we need to grapple with. I think before we even do that, we know that we're going to have to grapple seriously with racism in this country in a way, and that burying our heads in the sand can't be the answer. But I actually think we need a granular understanding of what happened in this election before moving. Absolutely. But we did our episode on, and the winner is democracy. And we've received a lot of emails from white women who are saying, thank you for this episode. Thank you for the honesty. Like we got to do better. And 
it, I was not expecting that at all. But even they're just like, we don't get them. We 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 don't get that fifty five percent. One woman sent us an email. She's like, I'm raising my young sons, my young white sons, you know, to care about equity, justice, and inclusion. And she says, it's hard when they can go on YouTube and just find all these people that are trying to radicalize them and tell them, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. Like that you are, like you are it, like you shouldn't be bending. And it, it was like really interesting insight into what she was saying in her life, trying to raise white sons in now a post-Trump America to care about these issues. But we also know that Trumpism, it just, it didn't die on Saturday when this election was called. This is something we're going to have to deal with for a long time. Yeah, but the first step to defeating Trumpism was for sure defeating Trump. And so I, I want to actually name that, um, you know, the first time in basically three decades and only a handful of times in our history has an incumbent president lost. And this happened in the midst of a pandemic where voting was hard. You had people turn out in record numbers. So in some ways, there is something to your democracy was the winner piece. Um, Sometimes you need a bit of a wake up call to do the work that we know we have to do. And when I say I don't think people should bury their heads in the sand any longer, I, I really mean it. I actually think that understanding not only your personal duty, but where and how we should devote our time to shift our cultural resources, how it is you communicate and organize with people so that they can hear you and understand that the opportunity to build a forward-looking vision together in this country. That is not the conversation we've been having over the last four years. We have been in this pitched battle for the soul of our country in so many serious ways. And, And so now, as people can kind of come up for air a little bit and breathe, a little bit and understand that, okay, at the end of this, I think we still will have a free press. At the end of this, I think we will still have, you know, some basic institutions. You can, you can sort of see how, and we have to take on these underlying issues that, that gave birth to Trump. It, you know, he, he is a um, a symbol and example of the problem that we're facing in this country, but he is not the only problem. Right. Our listeners, they've heard me say this before, right after Trump got elected, people would ask me, oh my gosh, what do you think we're going to see? And I said, we're going to see how fragile democracy is. And that is what we've seen over the past few years. And I love astrology. And I was reading this long article called Horoscope USA. And the guy, like he talked about all of this. He saw like the rise of like Trump coming using astrology, really fascinating. But the line that stuck with me the most is he said, what will prevent 
you know, this from becoming who America is, is when the people rise up and they elect the leaders that they deserve. And for me, after reading that, that has always been my hope that I'm like, we're going to rise up and say, nope, that was too much. And we did. And we did. And it gave me faith in democracy. And one of my favorite uh, classes in college was democratization. And it literally just showed me to, again, how fragile democracies are. And people have to take an interest in what they do. And this country and the government, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm thankful for you and everything that you do every day fighting for women. Imagine that our democracy is a dashboard. The way it's going right now, lights are flashing, Alarms are blaring, warning us that it's time to check our systems. That's why I want to tell you about the latest podcast from The Nation called System Check. On System Check, hosts Melissa Harris-Perry and Dorian Warren sit down to diagnose and repair our malfunctioning political system. System Check is a weekly show that asks, What would it be like to break free from the oppressive systems that are holding us down? And it's unapologetically rooted in progressive Black culture and politics. From the movement for Black lives, to the fight for climate justice, from the unjust immigration regime, to the unfinished voting rights struggle, Dorian and Melissa want to know, how are you living in, working around, smashing through, or recreating the systems that shape your life? In the latest episode, Melissa and Dorian don't mince words when talking about how white supremacy is baked into our democracy. With their guests, they cover the recent Supreme Court nomination and the consistent attempts at voter suppression. My favorite part of the conversation was about how this is a movement moment in the wake of the recent elections and the importance of nonviolent direct action. I know you'll enjoy System Check too, so don't wait. Subscribe to System Check on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes every Friday. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a minute to talk to you about one of my favorite progressive organizations that I've been working with over the past few years. It's called The Arena. You all know that I'm about making sure people from all walks of life have a seat at the table. For too long, progressives have underinvested in talent and the arena is working to change that by building the most robust and diverse talent pipeline the Democratic Party has ever seen. I've been a supporter of the Arena Academy since it launched. Arena Academy is a hands-on five-day training program featuring high-profile campaign staff as trainers to help you get your start in progressive politics. During your time at the Arena Academy, you can learn to be a campaign manager, digital director, organizer, and more. And once you've been trained, you can head over to the Arena Careers, a one-stop platform for progressive employers and job seekers to post jobs, find jobs, and connect. Set up your profile in minutes and be connected to hundreds of employers and thousands of progressives you can network with. Once you join Arena Careers, you'll also have access to one-on-one resume and interview coaching from experts in the field. 
think of it as a LinkedIn for progressive politics. If you're inspired to work in progressive politics or looking for your next job in politics, go to arena.run slash BGG. That's arena.run slash BGG. And I kind of want to get into what are some of the things that you think we'll see over the next few years under the Biden-Harris administration? I love saying that oh so much. (laughs) I keep saying it too. (laughs) When the Biden-Harris administration takes, uh, you know, so what an awesome task before them. And it is uh, both immediate relief for people in this country around COVID, both addressing the pandemic, but the economic uh, consequences of it and a deep understanding in this country about what people are facing. In September alone, 1.1 million people left the workforce and were not looking for a job. And that is an extraordinary number for a single month. Over 800,000 of those people were women. And part of the story there is what is happening right now with mostly women in this country working and caregiving and homeschooling all at the same time. And so we have, we are dealing with a situation that is both an economic crisis for many of those families, but it is a long-term career crisis for individual women. And it's a a community crisis. So we haven't had a COVID relief package since May. The paid leave program that they put in place for COVID expires in December. The additional unemployment insurance expired in July. And we are going into a second wave. And so that actually is job one for them. And they know that. COVID and economic relief for for families in this country. But the 2020 also revealed that dealing with racial injustice has to be a major priority for them too. And not that racial injustice doesn't doesn't pass through COVID and doesn't pass through um, economic recovery, but dealing with racism in particular and separately and on its own terms is a must do. And so when I think about women in this country and They often are missing in the conversations about racial inequality. So what an opportunity to have a black woman vice president who can actually talk about racial injustice and what it looks like with things like uh, maternal mortality rates. She's prepared to do that, I'm sure, because she led the bill and work in the Senate around it, right? Um, One last thing though, and Uh, Again, when I say there is an awesome job, they have to rebuild this government and they have to take on the really extraordinary and worst of the worst things that happened over the last four years. So whether it is the Muslim ban or the family separation that has left us not knowing still where over 500 of those children's parents are, 
or the extraordinary and toxic efforts to ban abortion, they actually have to take on what this administrative did through only its executive powers and that are going to be necessary to move us all forward. And so, uh, you know, talk about hitting the ground running. They're going to have to hit the ground sprinting. And we need all of us to put our force to bear to make sure they can do that job. Absolutely. They're going to need all of the support. We know our vice president, she's just going to need support being in that role as a woman, as a woman of color. We're already seeing the ridiculous attacks. But what you really said about you know, maternal health, particularly for Black women, I think it's so important. One of my favorite influencers, Jackie Ina, like she talks all the time about how she wants to have a family, but she's scared to have a family because mm. she knows how Black pregnant women are treated. And there was the horrible news that broke like a few weeks ago now of a woman who was a doctor was pregnant and like she died and it makes you think okay if she's a doctor and even she's dying while being pregnant like those those things really make you think like okay do do I want to risk my life having a family and that's that's so heartbreaking yeah this has been This has been, you know, one of the things that COVID did was reveal a lot of inequities and around access to healthcare, but also the biases that are so deeply embedded in our health system. I I think COVID has shown such a bright light on it. I mean, really, you know, pregnancy is, is a condition that comes with a tremendous amount of risk, despite the sort of rhetoric that sometimes accompanies it. It could be a really scary time. That's far more true, four times more true for Black women. And the thing is that there are actual answers here, right, of ensuring that people get the care they need, treating their concerns with seriousness and dignity. And I've been grateful to, you know, influencers who've lent their voice and told their own pregnancy experiences, you know, having Beyonce and Serena Williams talk about their experiences, I think were some really groundbreaking moments. But I suspect that we will have some new energy and attention to this issue that is longstanding and, and actually a stain on our country. Yes. Lots of work to do. We know you're going to be working hard at the National (laughs) Women's Law Center. So I want to close out by having you tell everyone how can they stay engaged with your work and supportive of your work over the next four years. Well, we're going to need everyone. So I hope that people will go to nwlc.org and find us and sign up because we send lots of information about when and how to take action. And we for sure are going to need you all to take action with us. But you can also find us on um, all the social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're trying to reach people where they are. And you can stay in touch with me on Twitter at F. Goss Graves. Um, I, you know, I tweet occasionally. I tweet with you. 
But I'm just glad to be with you. It's so good to look at you on this. I'm still celebrating. So on this celebratory day. It's so nice. I like I tweeted about how Sunday I woke up and I was like, that's the best night's sleep that I've had since November 8th, 2016. (laughs) And I'm like, had my iced coffee. I'm like, the iced coffee even hitting a little bit differently today. Tastes extra good. But um, it's just, it's so exciting, but we do know that we still have a lot of work ahead of us. And, you know, even before Trump, there were issues with our country and we just can't sweep those things under the rug. We have to make sure that we are facing them head on. And I'm just thankful for you and your team and all the work that you're going to do that you continue to do for us. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to your pods. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, check us out at thebgguide.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thebgguide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can check them out at wondermedianetwork.com. Until next time, Brown Girls.